Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3. We're taking a little bit break from the Gospel of John. We might get back there at some point. But currently I'm preaching a new series of messages on the topic of love. This will be my third. In the first one, we looked at Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. Jesus' profound words. When he was asked what was most important, Jesus answered this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then last week we looked at Jesus' equally as profound words in John chapter 13. When meeting with his disciples, the upper room discourse, the, the last supper, the words he says to those who have been closest to him, after having washed their feet and after having um, uh, basically prophesied that one of them were about to betray him, Jesus speaks these words to his closest friends. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you haven't heard those messages, they're on the church website. I encourage you to take some time and listen to them. I thought they were pretty good. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I thought they were pretty good. Today we're going to look at one of St. Paul's prayers for the church um, at Ephesus in uh, chapter 3 as I continue this series on love. So if you would, follow along as I begin reading at verse 14. This is what Paul prays. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Powerful verses. Lord, I pray that you'd use me today to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them, that helps their connection with you to grow ever stronger. Amen? I think these are some of my personal favorite scriptures in, in all, of the, all of the Bible. We all have our favorites, right? I've got, I've got four or five that I seem to come back to and orbit around. For a while, and these are these are those type of verses that just settle deep in my heart. So, let, before I expound on the text itself, let me offer a little bit of context. When you when you do a verse by verse study, you're in the context, you're in the flow of it. But I think for integrity, for honesty, as a preacher, when you're taking some verses and just kind of cherry picking your favorites, it's, I think it's helpful. At least the teacher in me finds it helpful to offer some context of the verse before I just jump into the meaning of the verse itself. I think it's helpful. So the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church in uh, Ephesus is a prison epistle. As a matter of fact, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, 
were all written from prison, and all about the same time. Probably the early part of the AD 60, a decade, most likely between the years 60 and, and 62. And so, in some ways, Ephesians is what we might call a reworked sermon. You ever been in a church and heard a preacher, you know, rework a sermon? He, it's like, I've heard him preach this before, right? It's two or three years later, maybe it's Christmas, maybe it's Easter. I, I've heard this one before. Well, Ephesians is like a reworked sermon. Pastors do that sometimes. They'll take an older message, they'll refine it, they'll update it, they'll use it again, especially if it's a, if it's a new or a different audience, new group of people. So Paul's letter to uh, the Ephesians seems to be an updated letter, uh, version of his letter to the Colossians. Over half the verses here are also found in Colossians. It, it appears as if Paul developed these themes in his letter to the Colossians to deal with the local problem, but then he expanded it um, for a more universal setting uh, here in, uh, for the Ephesians. Now, it's not crystal clear which imprisonment uh, produced these letters, but most commentators seem to point toward uh, Paul's imprisonment in Rome. If you'd like to read about that, you might want to start with Romans chapter 8. So I've got a vast array of resources in my personal library, and um, a very simple tool I found that has been useful to go back to again and again um, over the years has been, uh, I'm not even sure if it's still in print, but it's called the, the New International Version Serendipity study Bible. It was really designed for the use with small groups, and so they broke it down into nice bite-sized pieces and offered some interesting uh, group discussion questions in the, you know, on the side there. Uh, and so in their introduction to Ephesians, I, I love the way that they describe the characteristics of this letter. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. In this letter, this is what they write in, in the NIV Serendipity study Bible. In this letter, Paul takes us to the mountaintops of Christian truth and invites us to look at the breathtaking view. I love that sentence. That's a powerful sentence, right? In this letter, Paul takes us to the mountaintops of Christian truth and invites us to look at the breathtaking view. And when we do so, we see it as Jesus Christ who dominates that view. We see him breaking down the wall between God and humanity. We see him subduing the hostile cosmic powers we see him creating the church, a new social order of love and unity that transcends the racial, ethnic, and social distinctions between peoples. In conveying this vision, Paul reaches into eternity past and eternity future this, to demonstrate how God, out of his love and glory, calls people to be reconciled to himself and to one another through the cross of Christ. The cross provides forgiveness of sins, a new life, and a new people. Isn't that good? Well, that's powerful. What a great paragraph to describe uh, this letter. So you can break the book of Ephesians down into really two major parts. There are six chapters. The first three chapters are going to cover doctrine, pretty much, especially the new life and the new society God has uh, created through Jesus. And the final three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, focus more on ethics, um, specifically the new standards and new relationships, especially uh, among believers. And so, but today we're going to look at, we're going to look at chapter three. And just like you can break the book into two halves, you can break chapter three into two halves as well. Um, the first half of chapter three, verses one to 13, 
would fit well under the category of the mystery of grace. And the rest of the chapter, the, one, the, ones, the verses I just read to you, verses 14 to 21, would be the power to know love. That would be a pretty good category to put them under. So this morning, so with that as context, as a means of introduction, this morning I want to look at the power to know love part of Ephesians uh, chapter 3. So verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So obviously, Paul's praying. This, this, these verses are a prayer. Um, all of verses 14 and 21 are a prayer. And he begins his prayer with these words. For this reason. Now, I don't know, but if I read for this reason, if I'm starting for this reason, I've i got to know what it means. In order to find out for this reason, if you pick up at verse 14, you have to go before verse 14 to find out what he's referring to when he says, for this reason. Obviously, something preceded it. Well, to understand for what reason, we have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. It says, it also begins with, for this reason. It makes it a little bit easier if you're doing some... If you're hunting in a study to find out where to connect the dots, when the same phrase is used twice, you could probably draw a dotted line between the two. Chapter 3 begins with the very same phrase used in verse 14. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that's been given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been uh, now been revealed by the Spirit of God's, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Okay, so for what reason is Paul praying? The basis of Paul's prayer was his knowledge of God's purpose. It was the mystery of grace. It was the mystery of grace that had been given by prophetic revelation. Isn't it interesting? Previous generations did not have this revelation. Even though they had prophets, they didn't have this revelation. But in this gener in the generation that Paul's in, in his writing, he's saying there's prophetic revelation that had not been released to God's people before that has now been released to God's people. And the prophetic revelation is this. It is the mystery of God's grace. And it was given to the apostles and the prophets. If, if there was a mystery that Paul's saying was given to the apostles and prophets, then guess what? Both apostles and prophets existed. And if they existed, and they have two different titles, that probably means they have two different functions. Anyway, that's probably a whole other sermon. But what was the mystery that was given? What is this mystery of grace? It's simply this. That the message of salvation is not exclusively, exclusively for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Namely, that, namely you Ephesians Gentiles. This is a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but guess what? Without this mystery... Without the mystery of this grace, without this revelation, you and I aren't here today. Or if we are here today, we're probably, some of the guys were in Hanukkahs. Yamukas, um, <laughs> thank you. And we're speaking Hebrew. 
But the and you have to you have no idea how profoundly, unbelievably rocking this would have been to to the Hebrew mindset. And God, don't you just love God? He sends he sends Paul, a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees, knocks him off his high horse, rescues him. Does he send him to the Jews? No. <laughs> he sends him to the Gentiles. I don't know. If I'm doing it, I send him to the Jews. God sends him to the Gentiles. He goes to the Gentiles with the same message of grace that Jesus carried, that he gave to the Hebrew people, the covenant he made with his disciples on that night. This revelation is given that grace is also available. Salvation is also available to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews. It's, it's profound. It's a, it's a game changer. It rocked their world. I'm not sure if I can come up with an analogy that's compatible to us. You have to understand that to the Hebrew mindset, the, the Jews, the, the Hebrews were, the Gentiles were unclean. They were, they were outside the camp. They would never be let in. They would never be allowed. Think of a, I won't even put a name on it because I'll just get myself in trouble, but for yourself, think of a people group some identifiable people group who you think would never have a right to be inside the church. That's how the Hebrews would have thought of the Gentiles. And God's saying, salvation is for them. Ooh, unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Verses 16 and 19. So what, what does Paul pray? That's the introduction. Now we know why he's praying, for what reason he's praying, what it's in relationship to, to the message of grace. That's also available to the Gentiles, especially the Gentiles live in Ephesus. This is his prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, powerful verses. I mean, if those aren't underlined in your Bible, I mean, they ought to be. There'll be a little star in the column next to it. These are powerful verses. So let's unpack this a little bit at a time. The first sentence covers verses 16 to the first part of 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's prayer, the essence of his prayer is this, that the Ephesians would experience the indwelling Christ, that they would come to salvation in Christ, that they would have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would experience Christ living in their hearts, and that it would be a permanent dwelling, not camping, but more like building a house and moving into it. There were, my study showed me that that there are basically two main Greek words that are used for dwell. And the one, one dwell means to pitch a tent and to live in the tent for you know, a short period of time. There's a different word for dwell that's talking about a permanent dwelling. It's like digging a foundation and you know, pouring cement and building a house and moving all your stuff in and moving your family. You're going to stay there. There's a, a huge difference. He's not talking about the indwelling Christ as a, as a temporary a momentary experience where the, the Spirit of God comes and falls on you like, the, like it did for some um, 
people in the Old Testament and then lift. He's talking about he comes and he moves in. He makes permanent residence in your heart. This is what he's praying for the Ephesians. Not that they have a temporary experience, but that their lives would be forever changed because Christ has come and he now dwells in their heart. Paul prays that this would be a relationship based on trust where faith is used here. In verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember all the study we did on faith earlier when we went through the Gospel of John? I told you there was a, there was a key word or a root word repeatedly used when we see believe or belief or faith in the New Testament. Where it's faith here, it's that same word, it's that same Greek word pistis that in, in our common understanding would be more accurately defined as this, as trust. It's, it's not talking about uh, intellectual assent where um, there's a list of principles I agree with so I believe. No, it's talking about a relationship of trust. I know you and because I know you, I trust you. I know that I'm safe in your presence. I know you have my back. I trust you. Trust is a powerful thing. He's saying so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through trust because you trust him. Because there's trust between you. Faith can be the word faith can be a, an intellectual term. It can be auctioned off to the side like that. Trust can't be. Trust is, is a, it's an entirely relational term. Without relationship, there can be no trust. Trust only exists within the context of relationship. And this is what Paul's praying for, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through a relationship where you trust him. This is what he's praying And knowing full well that we could never accomplish this on our own, that the Ephesians can never accomplish it on their own, Paul prays for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this deep within us. We need, guys, we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't live this Christian life without Him. Matter of fact, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit most of my adult life, and I still struggle doing it. I can't imagine what it would be like to try and live this life without the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life. We need him to make this happen. We can't do it on our own. So that's the first sentence. What's the second? The prayer continues. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's the second part of his prayer? It's love, love, love. Every, every bit of it is love, that we would be rooted and established in love, that we would grasp the vast dimensions of Christ's love, and that we would know this love. So rooted and established. Being rooted and established as in the previous verse. What's, he, what's the context of it? That we would be rooted and established in this trusting relationship of dwelling in Christ. That that would be the roots of our establishment. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith or through trust. There is no greater establishment. There are no deeper roots than trusting Christ, who is himself the essence of love. Charles Spurgeon writes concerning this phrase, rooted and established. He says, two expressions are used. Rooted like a tree which lays hold upon the soil, twisting itself around rocks that cannot be upturned. Grounded 
like a building which has been settled as a whole and will never show any cracks or flaws in the future through failures in the foundation. This is a solid, this is a rock solid, this is a bedrock solid rooted in establishment. There's only one thing. There's nothing else that can pass. There's, there's nothing else that could fit into this category that can explain uh, Paul's prayer to us other than a relationship of trust with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only that. Rooted and established, not in the 613 laws of the, of the Old Covenant, not in the religious rules and regulations of men, not being rooted and established in doctrine or theology or denomination. All those things divided people from one another. Rooted and established in the thing that brings us together, love. Rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in Christ's love for us. That's the unifying principle. Then, from this firmly settled relationship, begin to grasp its vastness. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I got to tell you what, no one gets this. Absolutely no one gets how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. They yet to meet one person who fully grasped the vastness of Christ's love for us. Nearly every Christian I've ever met has, has grossly underestimated God's love. They've underestimated his love for them. They've underestimated his love for others. They've especially underestimated his love for their enemies. What he offers to us is an amazing love. It's a big love. It's an enormous love. It's an unfathomable love. It's huge. These words, this verse, speaking about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, was illustrated to me in a vision that I had, an experience with God, almost six years ago to the day. On Tuesday, it'll be six years, that I, six years ago that I had this vision where I was taken into the heart of God. And his heart was enormous. The, the whole universe fit within his love. And there was room to spare. It was, it was amazing. It was the most loving. It was the most peaceful. It was the most exhilarating, free environment that I'd ever experienced in my whole life. And I knew that what I was, what I was seeing, what I was experiencing was the length and the width and the height and the depths of God's love. That it was truly immeasurable. It was an infinite love. When I think about unconditional love, when I think about infinite love... I think about these verses here in Ephesians 3, and I remember that experience of what it was like to spiritually be inside the heart of God. It was amazing. I never felt more safe. I never felt more love. I never felt more free. This is absolutely incredible. If we could, as his sons and daughters, if we could but just taste the width, the length, the height, and depth of his love, it would change us forever. And yet Paul prays here for so much more than just a taste. Verse 19 says this, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. So let me ask a question here. Is there anyone here experiencing life or faith in a way that you would describe it as filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Anybody experiencing that? I'm not. I wish I was. 
I mean, I've had some pretty, you know, I've had some mountaintop experiences. I know the valley, but I don't know if I could ever honestly say I've been filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But that's what Paul prays for. 2,000 years ago, he prayed this for the church. Paul prays that we would know this love, that we would know the love of the indwelling Christ, that we would know just how wide and long and high and deep this love actually is. And to know it, and not only just to know it, but to know it to the point where we could describe it this way as being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's mind-blowing. That's being filled. That's being, that's being pressed down and shaken together and running over, right? That's like trying to watch a little kid fill a glass of milk. You never thought that half gallon of milk could get inside of one glass, right? Could there be a more complete knowing? Is it possible to describe it in a, in a, in a fuller, more passionate way? I don't think so. So what's the problem? Why aren't we there yet? Where's the width? Where's the length? Where's the height? Where's the depth? Where's the measure of all the fullness? How come we're still here and not there? Two millennia later. I think there's a clue for us right here in verse 19. I think it's a clue. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge. It's a difference between knowing and knowledge. There are two different words used here. Know is gnosko. And it means an intimate, experiential knowing. Knowledge is gnosis, which speaks about a general intelligence and understanding. I'll say it again. Know is gnosko, an intimate, experiential knowing. Knowledge, the word here, is gnosis meaning a general intelligence or understanding. It's the difference between knowing someone intimately versus knowing about someone. I know about Abraham Lincoln. When I was in elementary school, they taught us about Abraham Lincoln. But I know Nadine personally. I know Nadine intimately. I don't know what Abe's favorite color was or what food he didn't like. Or, you know, Nadine, I know everything about her. There's an intimate, personal knowing. I don't know just what I've read in a book. I know what it's like to wake up with her with me in the morning. I know her routine before we go to bed at night. I know what kind of food she doesn't like. Right? If we go out to a restaurant, I'm going to get the onions off of her salad. Right? If I have a hamburger, she's going to get my tomato. I don't really like tomato on my salad. If they serve us pickles with the hamburgers, chances are she's going to steal my pickle. I got used to that a long time ago. I know her. I wouldn't know any of those things about Abraham Lincoln. All I know is what I read in the book, but I don't know him. Paul's prayer is for a knowable love that surpasses knowledge. Not information, but intimacy. Where's the problem? I'm pretty sure. I got a pretty strong opinion that the problem is this. Our Western worldview is too easily satisfied with information, and we never even consider intimacy. We're, we're too easily satisfied with academic, intellectual knowledge about God. We're content to memorize the Bible verses, but we've never had an encounter with the Word made flesh. We don't know Him intimately. 
We don't know him personally. As a matter of fact, most of our culture, the way we're raised here in the West, especially in North America, not only do we not experience God, we're cautioned against experiencing him. We're, we're, we're told that it's fake, that it's phony, that it's not real, that maybe you're crazy, that you might have some mental instability, or that you might be mentally unhealthy if you have an experience with God. That's pretty much how we're trained. Matter of fact, for most of us, when we begin to experience God, when we have dreams or visions or somehow His Spirit touches our body, we're not trained by our culture, by decades and decades of our culture, to accept it. We're trained to question it and to doubt it. We start in a pit. We start in a hole. Because sometimes when God works, it doesn't fit up here. It doesn't fit in our mind. It doesn't fit in our understanding. We're more comfortable in the West with information than with intimacy. We're content to know what we read in the book as opposed to what we experience in our heart. How sad is that? Matter of fact, if I was the devil and I wanted to deceive the church, I think this would be a pretty good strategy. I'll be happy to let them know about God. Let them become experts in theology. Let them become experts in doctrine, especially when they disagree with each other. They can have conflict then, and they won't love one another, but never let them accept the fact that they can actually experience the presence of God in them and on them and through them. That would be dangerous. That would be unacceptable. Paul prays that, that for a knowable love that he says surpasses knowledge. That we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we would knowingly, that we would have an intimate experience. This is what the word means, gnosko. That we would have an intimate, personal experience of this love that surpasses general intelligence and information. I'm not putting anything into it. I, I encourage you. I challenge you. Go study the verse for yourself. Do the word study for yourself. Look up the words and see the stark difference between the two and see if this is what Paul's referring to. Because 2,000 years later, with all the information we have, and we live in a day and age today where we have more access to more information than human beings ever had before, and still we're not filled to the fullness or the full measure of all the measure of God. We're still not there. Information will never, ever get us there. I'm not saying the information's bad. I'm just saying it's not enough. It's not sufficient. It's absolutely not sufficient. We need more. We need more than just information. We need experience. We need intimacy with God. We need to know him in such a relationship where we can trust him. There's not enough information for me to just trust God. I have to have experience with him to trust him. I have enough information to have an intellectual faith. I can't. Information alone is not going to get me to trust. I have to know him to have trust. Because without relationship, there is no trust. Trust is a relational term. Does that make sense? Yeah. If somebody does this once in a while, I can move on to the next point. Yeah. All, right. All right, that's good. All right, where did I leave off? <laughs> the problem of our Western worldview is that we're too easily satisfied with information. Now, from the beginning, when I, before I even got hired on here, I told you that I am not content 
to live an academic and intellectual faith only. I want to know God. I want to intimately, personally experience God. I want an experiential faith. I wholeheartedly want what Paul's praying for here. This is why this is some of my favorite verses. I want to intimately experience God. I want more than general intelligence or understanding about God. I want the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. I want this love that is wide enough to bridge any gap between him and me, any gap between me and another person. I want this love that's longer than any journey I have to go on, any road I have to travel. I want this love that's higher than any mountain I got to climb, any obstacle in my path. And I want this love that's deeper than the deepest pit I found myself in. Have you ever been in a pit? Have you ever been in a dark place? Have you ever felt like you were going to drown, like you were going to die in that place? As Corey Timboom said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. This love is deeper than your deepest pit. It's deeper than your darkest place. He will meet you there. And not only will he meet you there, he will rescue you from that place because that's what love does. I want it. I want the width, the length, the height, the depth until I am filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. And I'm not there yet. I'm not even close to being there. Why should I settle for anything less? Is this in the Word or it's not in the Word? It's right there in the book. Even for those of us who are content with information, I challenge you with this information. Study these verses. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not lying to you today. Even if you live in the place where information satisfies you, then wrestle with this information. Contend with this information and answer me this question. Has your information gotten you to the place where you're filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God? And if the answer is no, there's got to be more. And there is. There's more. There's more than gnosis. There's more than knowledge. There's gnosko. It's intimate experience with God. There's more. And the more that he offers us, the way that Paul continually prays and defines it in this text, the more is this. It's his love. It's his amazing love. He doesn't say power, right? We might go after if it was power. Who doesn't want to have superpowers, right? But it's his love. It's his unfathomable, unmeasurable love that he offers to us. God is so good. Why should I settle for anything less? Why should any of us settle for anything less? And so just maybe, maybe if I experience what's described in verses 17 to 19, I might have some faith for what's in verses 20 to 21, which says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is work, at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, Forever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but I got some imagination. <laughs> I got pretty creative imagination. Who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I don't know. I got some imagination. How about you? So what's our Monday morning takeaway from these verses that your pastor obviously feels so passionate about? 
Well, let's make some personal application to these verses. So if you would, could you just close your eyes for a second? And just answer these questions for yourself. I don't need to know the answers, but I'm challenging you to know the answer. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? Does Christ dwell in your heart through faith? Is he a visitor or is he a permanent resident? Does he have a temporary visa or does he have all the rights of citizenship in your heart? Do you know the width, the length, the height, the depth of his love for you? Are you filled to all the measure of the fullness of God? Do you intimately know his love or do you possess knowledge about his love? Do you intimately know his love for you or do you simply possess knowledge about his love? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Do you want more than you currently have? I know I surely do. So let's pray as Paul prayed. Lord, I pray this morning that out of your vast and glorious resources, that you would strengthen us, Charlottetown Community Church, to the core of who we are. Strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we choose in this moment to put our trust in you, and we invite you, come and live inside our hearts. Come and take up permanent residence within us. Lord, I pray that we, the members of Charlottetown Community Church, that we would be firmly rooted and established in your love for us. That we would actually grasp the vastness of your love. That we would intimately and personally experience your love for each of us. That we would actually experience what it means to be filled to the measure of all your fullness. I pray for every person sitting here today that they would not die until they experience what it's like to be filled to the measure of all your fullness. That you do that for each of us. Lord, we invite you to come and do God-sized things in our midst. Come and do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And Lord, I pray that you do this in such a way that it would be to your glory alone. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And so as I look out over the congregation this morning, I, I see a few things that some people... Marsha, I just have an encouraging word for you. Um, I feel like um, hidden inside of Scripture are, are just nuggets for you. It's, it's like nuggets of gold or, or, like, um, or like priceless gems. And I feel like 
the Lord's going to make it easy for you. It's not like they're buried 100 feet underground and it's going to take you all this time to dig. You're, you, have, you have a full plate. You have a busy life. I think God has, has brought nuggets of truth that are going to be really life-giving to you from his word to the surface. It's going to be like you're going to, you're going to be walking past it and just kick a little dust and you'll find a nugget there. You're going to find the gem there. And I just feel it. I, this is why. I think God has encouragement for you. I think he has daily encouragement for you in his word. And so I just want to encourage you, even if you have two minutes, if you have one minute, I feel like if you go to his word uh, very quickly, he'll give you what you need. And he'll give you the life you need for the next, next phase, the next length of the journey. The next hour of the day, the next day, day in the week. And so Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless Marsha and that your word would be. Uh, just extraordinarily uh, life-giving to her. Do it, Lord. And, and Kimball, we got to talk a little bit today. I really feel like those videos that you watched, I think that in them God is planting seeds in your heart. He's stirring up a desire for you. I could see that on you when, when, when you shared with me before the service. And So I just want to encourage you. I think, <clears throat> I think there's a, you've been on one path for a long time, and, and you've been going on this one path, and it's good. I think there are some twists and turns in the road coming. I think the Lord's going to take you off the, off the main road, and he's going to take you on some side roads for a while. Nothing wrong with the main road. It's just that he, I feel like he's responding to your prayers. You watch those movies, and, and as you watch them, you say, Oh, God, do this for me, or Oh, God, I want some of that. And So don't be surprised if there are some changes in your life that take you off the main path and let you go on some side paths for a while. And, and in so doing, you're going you're gonna to discover mysteries and wonder and awe in, in your experience with him um, that sometimes when we're, we're on the highway when driving past, fast, we can pass by things, even some really interesting things. I think there's some interesting things that God wants to show you, and he's going to do them on the, on the side, side road. And it's, it, it's because of... Um, it's because of the prayers that you've prayed, even, even just uh, this very week. And, and, uh, and Bernice, um, I look at you this morning, and I just, I just have this very tender sense uh, of the Father's love for you. It's like the chair that's sitting next to you. It's almost as if what it looks like to me is that the Lord's right there with you. He's just at your side. He's, he's got his arm over your shoulders. He, he wants to remind you today of, of his great love for you and, and that the favor that, that you have. Um, and, uh, and the encouragement is this. Uh, you're, like, you're like King David, okay? Uh, that when Samuel came to, to pick a new king for Israel, um, even the prophet went looking for the oldest son, the tallest son, the biggest one, the, the strongest one. And, uh, and so he looked at, the oldest son looked at all of, all of um, Jesse's sons. And God didn't pick any of those. It was, it was the one who was faithfully serving out in the field. God knew where he was. God looks upon the heart, Scripture tells us. Not, not upon the outer appearance. Not that there's anything wrong with your outer appearance. It's this. God looks on your heart, and your heart is so good um, and that you are a woman after his heart. He loves you, and that he's with you. Just be encouraged. My sense is that his presence is very near uh, right now. So bless her. Lord, we pray you bless Bernice and that you would meet her where she's at, that you would, that you would encourage her and that, and that you would comfort her. Do it, Lord. We ask that you just bless her. Next thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God's so good. He's so good. 
I feel like um, I feel like we have a, a key to a lock. There are some keys that only fit in one lock, only unlocks one door. But it really works on that lock. You can have other keys that look like it, but it's not going to unlock that door, right? We've all experienced that. I feel like this, this message that we've looked at the last three weeks on love, that it's a key that fits into a lock. And then what it does is it unlocks the heart of God. It's going to reveal to us the treasures that are in his heart. I feel like that each of us have those keys. We each have access to it. Anybody ever had, I, I have a big key ring. Most of my life I've always had lots of keys, right? Have you ever had, have you ever had so many keys on your ring, they like, I don't even know what that key is for, right? Right? <laughs> I think we've all been there. It's like, what does this thing fit? I've tried this in every lock I could think. I don't know what it fits. I think that's it. I think we all have a key on our ring. That It's the love key. It's the key that unlocks understanding to the truth of God's extravagant love for us. And I feel like in these past few weeks, it's like that, that key is glowing on our rings. And so, so I just want to encourage you. Take out that key. Try it out on your lock. Try it out in your experience with God. Ask him to communicate to you, not simply about his love as a general topic. Ask him this question. Come before him in prayer and ask him this question. This is how you put the key in the lock. Say, Lord, show me your love for me. Show me your love for me. Remind me today, O oh God, in ways that I understand. Speak my language, O oh God, concerning love, about your great and lavish and extravagant love for me. Pray those kind of prayers. Don't be surprised when the, when the key fits right in the lock and it opens it up and truths are revealed to you. So Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would bless uh, them today. Lord, we ask for more of you inside more of us. I pray, Lord, that those, the, the keys would be in our hands, the locks would be open, that the truth of your great love for each one of us personally would be revealed and that we would experience it even this week, even today, Lord, in ways that we recognize it's you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen? I love you guys. Have an awesome week. Um, I'll see you tomorrow night, uh, session four of our Spiritual Gifts uh, Workshop.